got your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of Isaiah. We are in Isaiah 40. Last week we, we talked about the glory of God and, and how the glory should, thank you, the glory should bring us comfort. And when, and when we, we, since obviously Jesus Christ being the manifestation of the glory of God and his return, but until he returns, you and I are his representatives here on earth. So we should be showing God's glory. And we do that by how we, the words we say, we do that in, in how the things that we do, we also do that in how we treat each other. And so it's very important that we do that. And so we're waiting for the return of Christ. And we need to reflect the, the glory of God while we're here. And we can come find comfort in knowing that Christ is returning. And that one day He's going to return, He's going to make everything that we see in the world that is wrong, all the things that are not the way we know it's supposed to be. And we look at, we look at Eden, and we look at what it should have been, and we look at what it is, and we know there's a disconnect, and we know that Christ is going to come, He's going to repair that. He's going to bring it back, and it's been the plan from the beginning. One day all of mankind, past and present, will see the glory of the Lord. It's going to be an amazing moment when everyone will see Him. And I don't think any words that we have can do justice to it. I can imagine John writing in Revelation when he was, when he was seeing the vision of heaven. He's, he's there, and, he, and I'm sure his words escape him as to how he can explain it. We, we, that's why sometimes we have the, what's called eschatological language. That, you know, we, we just, he did the best he could with the words he had, but it, it fails in comparison of what it really is going to be like. And, and the thing about it is, is that we, we, we know that... that, that that moment that, that, that there's just, we're going to be speechless. Paul talks about this moment. He talks about what it's like. He, in, in Romans 8.18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What he's saying is, he's saying, all the struggles that I'm having in this life, they are nothing compared to the glory that's coming. And what is so tragic is that there are many in this world who are going to remain in their unbelief. There's many in the church who will remain in their unbelief. We know this. No matter what they see or what they hear. I mean, you know, you and most of us are, are pretty logical people, somewhat, um, more, than, more than others. But when we see something, we believe it. If I, if I tell you that I have three arms, you know, you won't believe me. But if I, all of a sudden I have a third arm over here and I'm using it, it's, you would believe it. Thank goodness I don't. But needless to say, we, are, you know, we, we see things, but there are a lot of people in this world who see things. We tell them things. We tell them what we've experienced, how we've experienced the presence of God, how God has worked in our lives, and we've seen things around us that you just can't explain. And still... They continue in their unbelief. It's tragic because the very thing that they need and the very thing that they're yearning for is Christ. See, the Bible teaches us that the God, in the gospel that the gospel can give us grace from Yahweh, from God the Father, that is free. It's a gift. And yet much of the world staggers around in unbelief. Why? Well, I think part of it is because we've become so tainted by evil in this world 
that people find it hard to believe that there's going to be something different. That there actually will be something good, and that good thing is free. We also have a problem of overestimation. I love that picture. I think he overestimated the power of his motorcycle. We have a problem with overestimating. We overestimate our own abilities. I do it all the time. I'm, I can, I'm, I can, I'm Superman. I can do anything, right? Wrong. This overestimation in reality is called pride, and, and it's been a problem from the very start. And it continues to run rampant within humanity, inside and outside the church. So we have this problem of overestimation. We overestimate our own abilities. Then we have the problem of underestimation. We underestimate what Yahweh, what God can do. We underestimate His holiness, His righteousness, His mercy, His goodness, His love, His grace, His justice. And we just can't accept the fact that God can love us in our ugliness. And in spite of our wicked rebellion, He still loves us. It's a hard thing to fathom. So, so I have to ask the question, do we truly know Yahweh? Do we truly know God the Father? Oh, I, I think we know a lot about Him. But do we truly, intimately know Him? Like He wants to be known. Luke tells us in Acts... He says that he made from one man, Acts 17 says he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So God has created man. He has set where they're supposed to live, the boundaries of their life. You see that in, in the Old Testament especially. We've talked about that many times. You see the Tower of Babel. He separated out. He, and we, he's, he puts, them, puts people in sends them to their places. You see the maps that show the different places where the different sons of, of Noah went. God determined that. But why? Why did he put them in certain places? He put them in those places that they should seek God. Man's purpose is to, one of his purposes is to seek God. God puts it in our heart to seek Him and perhaps feel the way toward Him and find Him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. Have you ever have you ever lost something? You know, you, you lose your keys, and you're looking all over for them. Guess what? But worse than that, where are my glasses? Right? I, that's what we do. And so God has put us in, in us to seek Him, and He's really not far from us. The reality is that God the Father, Yahweh, has he's, he's actually revealed himself in his son, Jesus. John writes in John 14, says, Philip said to him, this is Jesus, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and Philip, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. He says, if, if we could just, you know, again, if we could see it, we believe it. If we just see the Father, Jesus says to him, 
Have I been with you so long that you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you do not speak on my, of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Jesus says, you, I don't need to show you the Father. Why? Because I've shown you me. And I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But see, I think today, I think today the church needs new eyesight, a, a paradigm shift, you might call it, in how we think about God, how we think about Yahweh. We have neither, never, either, either we've never really seen him, or we've forgotten. We've forgotten his majesty. For many today, God is weightless. God has, God, a lot of people who call themselves Christian, God, God's immenseness, God's majesty holds no bearing on them. It, it, it doesn't show. He, he's, he's not showing in them. And so they call themselves Christians, but if you look at their life, has very, God has very little impact on them. How, how can we as a church say that we're the church of Jesus Christ, and how can we glorify God if we're not filled with the heaviness of the majesty of God? How can we do so if we aren't filled with the glory of the Lord? Too many people today sit in a church where the pastors teach a message that's been softened up. I, I've already told so he's told you. You know, if you leave here and I've offended you because of the scriptures, I've done my job. If I've preached to you the truth of the gospel and you don't like it, I'm sorry. I did what I was supposed to do. My goal is not to make you feel good about you. My goal is for you to look at God and, and want to worship him. You might think of some churches what I call quickie lube churches. People come to have their American selfishness oiled. It happens. It's, I've done the research. It's it's not good. It's part of the great apostasy that was that was warned was going to happen. You have worship that's full of songs that focus on me. It's all about me. And a sermon is all about how great we are and how precious we are to God. And yes, believe me, we are very precious to God. He gave his life for us. He came and died. But we have to be careful not to become man-centered in our thinking and in our worship. You know, Albert Einstein, he really had a very diminished view of the preaching of his time. And, and I have to wonder if it could possibly be because here was a man who was searching for the cause of the universe, the cause of creation. And I, I, he may have very well have encountered the hand of the whole designer of it all. And when he looked at the preaching that was going on, he probably figured it was blasphemy, the way they were preaching. And i got to wonder sometimes if our preaching today is much better in many churches. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his, and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill 
your ministry. So what do we need? I think we need the real thing. We need the real thing. And it's not Coke. It's Yahweh. It's God. That's our goal today. I want us to get a, a fresh sense of Yahweh. Yahweh is his, his, his holy name. It's what, actually, it's I am. That's what, what he was, Moses was told to call him. So I call, I say, yeah. So when I say Yahweh, I mean God the Father. Isaiah is going to help us do this by showing us Yahweh through Yahweh's eyes. And while I, our human eyes seem to diminish the Lord's glory, when we, when we see Yahweh through his eyes, it should change everything. So let's, let's take a look at this. Let's look at Isaiah 40. We're going to start with verse 12. Pick up where we left off last week. He's a wise creator. And this is what, what Isaiah says. He says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? I mean, it's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend the immensity of God. Immensity being his, his majesty, his fullness. God's majesty dwarfs all that is around us. As Paul says, you know, the struggles I have now pale in comparison to the glory that's going to come. Our problems for us seem overbearing. Wake up every day and you're like, I can't, I don't know whether I can make it through today. But the reality is, those problems shrink and become insignificant when we compare them to the glory and the majesty of God. Isaiah tries to give us a sense by wondering, by wondering if, if, if you, he compares it to the simple things of nature and what God can do with them. And he begins with water. Just a couple of facts here about water. 71% of the surface of the earth is covered with water. 71%. With the oceans holding 96.5% of that water. So think about that. If that's the case, then only, only 3.5% of the water on this earth is drinkable without having been treated for being desalinated. If you take all the water in the world, not including the water that's in the air around us or in our bodies, you would have 332.5 million cubic miles. Okay, a cubic is... Okay, a perfect cube, square. You'd have 332.5 cubic miles, or as that number here, if you could read it, it's kind of hard to read, 365.750.000.000.000.000.000 gallons. That word means 365.75 quadrillion gallons of water. And God can hold it in his hand. That's the immenseness of God. Can you? Can I? From here to here, God can hold that in his hands. And if that wasn't enough, God, Yahweh knows how much dust is on the earth. Most of it on my windowsill. He knows. He knows how much every mountain and every hill weighs. I mean, we, we make estimates. You know, we, we, scientists have looked at, oh, let's see how tall is it. And they're clueless. I'm sorry. God knows how much they all weigh. 
Every little speck of dust that's floating around, around us, He knows them. He knows about every drop of water that's in the world. And about every huge mountain and every tiny hill. Yahweh is immense. His immenseness pertains to His relation to His creation. I mean, think about that. If, if God was a standing alone and wasn't compared to anything, He may not seem like very much. But when you compare Him to us and to everything around Him, and as amazing as this world is, it's nothing compared to God. This is Yahweh's omnipresence. God fills every part of His creation and every part of Himself. Wherever you are in the universe, God is there. This, I am not saying that God is in everything. God is not in these pews. I'm sorry, that's a complete, that's a, that is a false teaching. There are some in the church today that teach that. It's, that's a false teaching. But he is everywhere. God is everywhere in the universe. David pondered this in Psalm 139. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the bottom, the very lowest part, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Yahweh is not contained by anything, and nothing can dwarf him. God has walked the expanse of the cosmos. If you go outside, I'm a, I, love, I love astronomy, I love the stars. You go outside at night, and you look up, and you look at the immenseness of of the sky. And, and I mean, I don't think we can truly fathom how huge the universe is. Do some research on the James Webb Space Telescope and the new things they're finding out with that. It's, it's just phenomenal. All the things they thought they knew are finding out it's not true. Not all of them, but many of them. He can walk the expanse of the universe. God knows it all. Again, David gives us a great picture of, of what he sees here. In Psalm 8, he says, When I look to your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Are you feeling humbled yet? I am. But let me go on. Let's look at Yahweh's power. We've looked at Yahweh's power. Let's talk about his wisdom. Verse 13 of Isaiah 40. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? And what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? See, you and I, we, we learn things. Somebody teaches us things. You're like, no, I just go out to, I just go out to, to, to uh, YouTube and I find out how to do things. That you're, somebody's teaching you how to do something. 
How do I know what I know? Somebody taught me. My father taught me how to do mechanical things. Teachers taught me knowledge. My mistakes taught me how to do other things. See, it was the wisdom of God, the mind of Yahweh, that enabled him to speak creation into existence. Nobody taught him how to do that. Nobody had to explain to him how it works. He did it and it happened. His mind thought it up. Yahweh's mind made it possible for him to craft the earth, the moon, the stars, the sun. He set them in motion. He created the laws of physics that make them all work. I love science. I love physics. I love looking at it. And I can't, I can't fathom how God thought up all these laws. Our planet, this is a small little inkling here, our planet sits in a zone. It's called the Goldilocks zone. You know the story of Goldilocks. This bed's too big. This bed's too hard. This bed's too soft. This bed is just right. We live in a zone that is just right. If we were too close to the sun, all the water on the earth would boil away. If we were just, and it's actually only about two, it's about two, one to two times the size of the earth, this zone that we live in. If we were too far from the sun, the water would be frozen. Either way, life would not exist. We are about 93 million miles from our sun, and that's the perfect distance for life to exist. Statistically, it can't happen by chance. God thought that up. Not only that, and this, this goes beyond what I wrote down. You know the world is we're tilted. We're tilted so that in the winter, summertime, when it's winter here and it's summer in the, in the southern hemisphere, we're actually closer to the sun. But we're actually, the northern hemisphere is tilted away from the sun. That's why it's cold up here. I've been, believe me, I've been in, in South America when it's been hot in the wintertime here. It's winter here, it's hot down there. And when we are farthest from the sun... The northern hemisphere is tilted towards the sun, so they get colder temperatures, but not nearly as cold as we do. That's why most of your rainforests are in the southern hemisphere. And we're at a perfect tilt. That wobbles a little bit, but it's, it's, it's supposed to. God thought about that. Nobody taught him that. Nobody had to sit down. He didn't have to open a physics book and have to figure this out. He knew it. He did it. He spoke it, and it happened. The moon is just the right size and just the right distance from the earth to protect it from numerous impacts from space. Just look at all the craters. Those are from impacts. And also, you think about this, the, the, the moon actually affects our tides. The moon is what makes our tides go in and out. And if it wasn't for that, there are many creatures in our world who wouldn't be able to survive. It was the mind of Yahweh that developed the complexity of the human body. And just when our experts, in their pride, think they have all the science figured out, God throws them a curveball. It happened during COVID. They said this would happen. It didn't happen. Why? Because the human body took care of it. It does amazing things. 
which really concerns me because I think we're doing things to destroy our human bodies and causing more problems. If we just did the right things with them and allowed God to, God's working to work, we wouldn't have half the problems we have. God is amazing. He is, his mind is phenomenal. We, we, could, we could spend eternity searching it and we still wouldn't come to the end of it. Psalm 139.14 says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. I wonder sometimes if if, it, if my soul really does know it. That's why I, when I was writing this, I'm like, man, I, I don't. I think I have forgotten how immense, how awesome God's majesty is. And let's look at the unfolding of history. I'm a. I'm also not just a science. I don't just love science. I love history. Look at the unfolding, how things happen. From the point of the fall of Adam and Eve to the point where Jesus, in the fullness of time, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again. And from that point until today, God planned it out. He knew what was going to happen. We, you know, and in the garden, what happens? Adam and Eve sin. He curses them. He curses, he curses the ground. He curses the serpent. He tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and between her and between you and her offspring. And then he said, he, he will crush your head. Offspring is plural. He is singular. We have the first gospel message preached by God himself. And the first prophecy Messianic prophecy given, and you will bite his heel. God planned it all out. He knew Adam and Eve were going to sin, and we can get into discussions about why did he allow it to happen. Free will. But it's more complex than that. But needless to say, think about this. God knew it was going to happen. He allowed it to happen. And now he is putting things in place. He's put history in place. History, things are happening so that it's going to return to what it was when God come, Christ returns to restore everything back to what it was supposed to be. History has been unfolding under the hand of Yahweh. Nations rise and nations fall, but it is Yahweh who has, has it all figured out to the smallest detail. And yes, free will. There are things that he allows us to do. We get to make decisions. We do things. Yes, we have free will. And it, it affects things, but it doesn't affect God's will ultimately. We're not that powerful. Who else could have done this? You? Me? The President? Congress? United Nations? Nobody. There's not a human on earth who can come close to the intellect and the creativity of Yahweh. It says in verse 14 that no one has taught God the path of justice. Now, I wish God would teach us the path of justice. I wish God would teach our judges the path of justice today. I think they've forgotten it. But even in that, don't we want to question God's justice? Don't we? How could God, how could God allow this to happen? Right? Jeremiah did it. Jeremiah 12.1, Jeremiah says, Righteous, is, righteous are you, O Lord. He says, Lord, you're righteous. We know you are. 
When I complain to you, you're righteous. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Have you ever thought about that? Why is... I don't know whether you know what's going on in the world today. Why is the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos? And why are they succeeding in all the garbage return? Why are they Why are they the ones who have all the money? Why are they the ones who are all successful? Why are they trying to tell us how to do everything? Why are people listening to them? Why do they prosper? Don't you, have you ever wondered that? We all do. We're all guilty of that. Why doesn't God stop the wicked from prospering? And Jeremiah gets an answer. And that answer is that God is going to deal with them. He's going to. Nobody escapes it. Recently, I've been reading some 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 posts and some different things from different people, you know, uh, who have died. And and it's interesting because uh, you know everything from people who were believers to someone who who's a a in the in the music industry and says, well, I've heard that heaven's overrated. I'm just like, oh man, are you gonna be are you gonna be surprised? Not that you're gonna see heaven and it's overrated, it's that you're gonna be in hell and it's a lot worse than you think it is. God is just. And his word is just. And you and I have violated his moral law and his character. All of us. Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. But in God's wisdom, in Yahweh's wisdom, He has determined a way to solve that problem. The problem of our rebellion. Because Paul continues in verse 24 of Romans 3. He says, All those have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He says, yeah, we've all sinned. We're all terrible. We've all, we've all rebelled against God. But guess what? We have the gift of grace. All we have to do is accept it. And you accept it by believing, trusting in Christ. And we get that because of the redemption that happened through Jesus Christ on the cross. This goes on. He says, from God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation is a substitution. He paid the price of his blood, what we should have had to pay. To be received by faith. This is was to show God's righteousness. Jeremiah, this is the answer right here. Why do, why do they prosper? Because Christ is going to take care of it if they accept him. If not, then they're going to be judged and be separated from God forever. And all the things they have here on this earth will be nothing. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He didn't forgive them. He passed over them. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. No one, no one taught Yahweh this. No one. No one taught him how to do this. He worked this out before the foundations of the world. Isaiah goes on in verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. 
Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. <coughs> Excuse me. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. See, Isaiah compares Yahweh to the immensity of the nations. Think about it today. Think about how big our nation is. How big Russia is. How big are the how many people there are in the world. Israel probably at the time felt powerless on the world stage. We know the Assyrians had been attacking them. They had threats from the Egyptians. And now the Babylonians are going to be attacking them. And at any time... Yahweh could have stepped in and saved them. And he did. He did with Hezekiah. And while they're in at captivity in Babylon, the Medo-Persians come in and, and they're still powerless to assert themselves. You know, the Babylonians took them into captivity. And during that time that they're stuck in Babylon in captivity, the Medo-Persians take over the Babylonians. And, they're not, and the Jews aren't freed at that point. They're still there. They still can't go back. All because that's what God planned it. And when they do get back, what happens? Then the Greeks come in. And the Romans come in. You see, they look at the nations as being, they're powerless, but there's all these nations. But in reality, those nations mean nothing compared to God. Oh, go to the halls of Washington, D.C., and there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of people here that think they have a lot of power. They have nothing that God didn't give them. And they're supposed to be stewards of that power. And he's going to pay them back for what they're doing. Same thing with the United Nations. Same thing with every government. Governments are not put in place by people. They are put in place by God. And their responsibility is to follow God and do God's will. If they don't do... This is why we have the American Revolution. If they don't do God's will, then they are, they are there to be revolted against and they are to be thrown out. That is, that is what's to happen. That's why the Founding Fathers decided to do what they did. They are there, yes, by God, but to do the will of God. If they don't do it, we are not to follow it. Peter and John didn't. They were told by the Sanhedrin, don't preach his name anymore. And they said, well, we don't know. Do we? God says to do this, and you're saying to do that. Which are we, who are we going to follow? We're going to follow God. Sorry, can't follow you. I'm not saying we're supposed to revolt. I'm sorry, I'm saying what I'm saying is we need to have a correct perspective. It is God who's in control, not our government. All these nations are but a drop in the bucket. We, no matter how great we think we are as a country, we are nothing but dust. That's why we've got to be careful, not get too attached to our human-created institutions. doesn't matter what they are. We've got to be careful not to get too attached to them. They are insignificant compared to Yahweh. Our first and foremost devotion is to Christ and Christ alone. It is God only that we should be looking to for our identity and our salvation. Man-made institutions that can be used for the good of people, believe me, our man-made institutions have done a lot of good for the people. But they can also be used for evil. Don't allow human institutions to take the place of God. So how do we apply this? 
First of all, we need to flee to the gospel. We, 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 need to be, we need to know the gospel inside, outside, frontwards, backwards, upside down, you name it. We need to flee from the trappings of this world, the idols that will one day be gone, will rot away, and embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior. See, we've we, we got we to come to Christ empty-handed because there's nothing we can give Him, there's nothing we can bring that compares to the immenseness and the majesty of Yahweh. And then we have to accept the free gift of grace and salvation that He has provided for us. And we have to keep reminding ourselves that because in our humanness, we forget. We get back into our patterns of our life and we forget the majesty of God. We need to remind ourselves of His majesty. Now, if you've already accepted Christ, we need to continually seek to encounter the living God. Read over verses 11, 12 through 17 of Isaiah 40. And, and as you do so, see, see your problems shrink away. When you think about the immenseness of God, he, he can handle it. Or at least He can walk with you through it. Yes, it's going to be hard. I'm not saying that God's going to take away all your problems. It's never promised. But what He does say is, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And come to Me, all you who are, who are weary and heavy laden, and, and, and take My yoke upon you. For it's light. I'll give you the ability to make it through, but you've got to trust me. I'm not minimizing what we go through. Trust me. I understand. And I grieve with you because I too go through similar things. But we must have a vision of God, a vision of Yahweh that understands that He can heal us. But if he chooses not to, he can still strengthen us and encourage us for the journey that he, in his wisdom he is allowing us to travel. We need to flee to him, embrace him. We need to embrace Jesus Christ. No one understands that this immensely powerful and wise creator, he loves us. Scripture says so, for God so loved the world. that What, what he gave his only son. Take your problems to him. Cast your cares upon him. He is the good shepherd, and he will take you into his arms. This is the God who loves us, and he can do something for us, whether it's healing or whether it's just strengthening us for the journey. Put your full trust in him and in him alone. Let's pray.